Hello, I'm Chris. And I'm Sean. And this is Monsters and Mythos, a podcast where we take a look at the races and monsters of Dungeons and Dragons and compare them to their folklore and mythological counterparts. Today we will be looking at the zombie, the creature that has become hugely popular in pop culture here lately with movies and almost every video game having some sort of zombie feature to it. Yeah, I mean, from the uh, shambling lump of gore to the power-hungry, ever-thirsting-for-knowledge undead masterminds, uh, you know, there's definitely some some connections we're talking about uh, today, uh, both between the zombie and the very zombie-esque uh, lich. You know, they're, they're opposite sides of the same coin, so we figure we, we'd tie them in together. But definitely, definitely some good talking points. All right, so why don't you lead us into how zombies and liches have been portrayed in Dungeons and Dragons, and then I'll follow that up with kind of their historical uh, history. Okay, yeah. So um, aside from uh, being some of the more recognizable and iconic enemies found within the within D and D and and elsewhere. Uh, the lich and the zombie are a couple of similar creatures, and I use that word loosely, that offer a sort of like next level customizable scenario. You know? um, and they offer this because they aren't really creatures. Like, I mean, sure, there are the basic stat blocks to be found throughout the many editions of monster manuals that are out there. But, but these beasties are more of a template than they are standalone creatures or or at least they have been throughout most of the editions. Uh, so let's start with the zombie template. You know, it is basically a condition you apply to an already existing creature. Uh, typically, these shambling mounds of flesh are created by some sort of dark magics finding their way into a dead body in varying states of decomposition. You know, bringing back to life the corpses of the fallen in a most unnatural way mindless and obedient, and if left to their own devices, often violent. Uh, none of the special qualities one had in life transfer to the zombie template, but some of the stats do. <laughs> so it's part of the customizable uh, situation I mentioned. Also, if buried with an armor, maybe donning magic I weapons or items, perhaps just died and a corpse remained buried or undiscovered with said items well well now you have a custom undead encounter you know it, it makes sense they would rise with whatever they were donning in death you know could be a few tattered decayed bits of cloth from a peasant or a noble perhaps a, a fully armored knight dragging their weapon of choice behind them you know so, I mean, in short, uh, zombies, as far as D&D &D is concerned, are the remains of the slain reanimated, uh, usually through dark magics, uh, the hollow remains, you know, bearing no knowledge or, 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 or from, no knowledge from their past life or, or will of their own. You know, so uh, if so far uh, is my zombie D&D uh, wise close to the one you have in the uh, in real life. <laughs> Definitely portions of it are. Alright. So, now we're going to move on to the very uh, zombie-like uh, lich template. You know, unlike the zombie, whose only prerequisite is that you have been forced from your mortal coil, you know, i.e. some sort of death, 
while Tristan, while transitioning from death to undeath is part of becoming a lich, the prerequisites for lichdom are many. Uh, li lichdom is not a course that is accidental. You know, uh, it is very deliberate, difficult, and a closely guarded ancient secret. Uh, the path to lichdom often leads to paths that involve deals with demons, uh, feel a fealty to unsavory elements of the abyss or other dark planes or other dark entities. You know, the process also includes the use of a phylactery that houses the lich's like very being and essence, among other properties. Uh, another sort of prerequisite is uh, not only a knowledge of magic, but the ability to wield it to a certain extent and, and to manipulate it. So that being said, Lichdom is basically unachievable to anyone without something like 10 or 11 caster-type levels, if you're going with uh, game mechanics, you know, cleric, wizard, sorcerer, whatever. Uh, um, but despite its difficulty and sacrifice and dastardly deeds that come along with the path to lichdom, they say the path to lichdom is the path to immortality. Almost like a shortcut or a loophole in the cycles of life that is exploited for personal use, uh, giving the Lich not only a very zombie-like undead look and feel, but uh, all of the other perks that come along with being an undead, uh, not needing to eat or sleep nor breathe air, etc. Um, gaining all these undead perks, including a body that regenerates if destroyed, and uh, does look remarkably similar to a zombie, and yet is able to retain their intelligence, their sentience, their life memories and experiences, and etc. So uh, uh, it's basically, you know, uh, the zombie versus the lich, uh, one of the main differences, uh, aside from uh, um, them being separate templates, is just the sentience, essentially. Like, a zombie is mindless, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, put forth to do some bidding. Uh, but so while having the appearance of uh, perhaps a, a mad zombie mage, the, the Lich template itself is very similar to that of the zombie. Uh, they follow most of the undead rules that apply to the zombie, uh, yet they retain their own will. And, and that's where even more customization of this enemy comes in, as you can take a pre-existing character and just apply the lich template to it yeah uh, perhaps aside from magic studies you you slide a few levels of barbarian or rogue or monk in as well you know uh, item up accordingly and then bam you know you've got uh, undead big baddie you know, custom style you know so um while they may have a similar outward undead appearance and, and share many physical traits and qualities uh, they are often opposite sides of the same coin, the same spectrum of evil, I guess, the zombie and the lich. Um, however, one takes years of dedication and sacrifice alongside dark and secret dealings, leading usually to an unnaturally long lifespan involving sinister plans full of more sacrifice and dark and secret dealings. Uh, the other can involve something as mundane as a, a workplace accident and a curious magic adept of sorts, you know. So, uh, um, with that being said, did the uh, uh, Lich template come any closer to the uh, uh, real-world zombie research? <laughs>
Well, the thing with the Lich uh, that I'm going to address is that it's definitely more of a fantasy and literature construct than having actually any uh, folklore element. So it, it, it can definitely work just because, well, I mean, you can make it up however you want in the first place. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so from a, a DM perspective, um, I enjoy templates in general. When you can get them to work narratively, it's usually a great payoff. Uh, being able to reanimate former allies and then pit them against the party or resurrect maybe a previously defeated nemesis and um, all their problems and motivations, uh, you know, kind of come with it. Uh, but now as a lich, you know, it's all too great. You know, tons and tons of ways to run with these narratively. Uh, and that being said, I think these two encounters are super fun from a, uh, a fun to DM, but for like newer or, or less experienced players in particular, you know, I like it when, um, the Hollywood has influenced uh, a player to where when they get attacked by a zombie or bitten or something, they're worried about an infection, even though that, that's not that's not really the way D&D &D works, but uh, at least not with the, the zombie template, you know, but uh, it's kind of fun to entertain, you know, the uh, outside sources of you know, horror that kind of add to the to the immersion type of elements. And uh, yeah, as far as the Lich, when you, uh, you know, it's usually the first, like, uh, a lich or, or a necromancer kind of tend to have the same uh, it's, uh, situation, but it's usually the first real-time use of dark offensive spells, you know, power word kill, for example. That is when you, as a DM, get to have a lot of fun, and, you know, uh, veteran players will typically uh, uh, navigate more carefully around what they suspect to be a lich, but, you know, you really get to... Uh, swing the hammer hard at, at the noobs the first time around so that that's definitely one of my more uh, uh favorite type of encounters to run at least for newbies um so in closing i would like to say both the uh, lich and the zombie templates are great for customization of campaigns and one shots alike uh the different races and classes that you know the different races and classes available that may be then applied to these templates leaves almost limitless possibilities you know varying in the difficulty of encounters from easy and and maybe mundane to extremely dangerous and a perilous situation all kind of based on the who or the what you decide to add these templates to so uh, also, the descriptors are fun. You know, being gross in descriptions uh, to immerse or maybe elicit uh, a reaction from players. Talking about guts and gore and broken limbs and the tearing of sinew or breaking of bone. You know, it's, it's fun to get uh, over-the-top kind of gory sometimes. But uh, yeah, with that, that's all I've got on the uh, uh, zombie and zombie-like lich uh, templates. Uh, what, what did you dig up? All right. Uh, well, to start, uh, you know, excellent job as usual, and yeah, I I can agree with the uh, descriptors. I mean, you you want to draw a world that everybody feels a part of, and you know, sometimes there's nothing like fear to just really make an enemy seem that much worse. <laughs> uh. So while looking this up, I did have to break down what 
I was looking for because there is a wide variety of undead creatures. Um, you have vampire types, you have ghouls, you have revenants, you have skeletons. So, you know, what is the difference? What is going to be the common factor? Uh, and so for that, you know, I got rid of skeletons. To me, they are naked zombies, basically. Uh, you know, there's no muscle to help pull the joints. It's just completely magical. Uh, got rid of vampires because, well, they have their an entire folklore dedicated to them. And we will be discussing that in an upcoming episode. Um, ghouls and revenants don't really have their own they just touch a little bit so they're similar but not enough to really go off of um, and so i tried to narrow it down to kind of what we think as a zombie as well as what has historically been called a zombie um let's start with you know let's discuss uh liches as i said earlier they are essentially an entire literary construct um back in the days when funeral possessions would enter a cemetery they would come through what was called the lich gate as lich meant corpse and so that is where the name came from eventually uh in writing authors would just use the word lich for a corpse and then when you got to about the early 1900s uh authors such as robert e howard who wrote the conan the barbarian series they started creating powerful wizards whose magic just allowed them to come back from the dead and they would call them liches uh they were neither good nor evil there are some stories where liches were actually quest givers you know hey go find this magical item do this for me and i'll reward you for it but they also became a very convenient enemy as you said you know you, they retain their intelligence wisdom and charisma from life so they're not brainless uh walking around they are all mentally they're still powerful only now you can't kill them uh if you want to have a fun nerdy debate you can argue whether voldemort is a lich as by splitting his soul and putting him to horcruxes he technically could not be killed therefore powerful wizard that won't die so have fun with that topic <laughs> yeah i mean the 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 horcrux from the harry potter universe is uh has some remarkable similarities to the phylactery that the lich has in dungeons and dragons so very good comparison there <laughs> And it just shows, you know, the, the same concept. And, and when you allow yourself to open up to some of these other ideas, hey, somebody who never thought of a Voldemort-type character now has a BBEG for their story that they can use to beef up an encounter that they were having maybe a hard time really getting a good story around. The idea of the dead coming back to life has definitely been around for millennia um most of the time though they were just spirits so ghosts uh in greek mythology it was spirits who were not properly buried or did not receive the coins in their mouth or over their eyes that they needed to pay 
Chiron to cross the river Styx so they come back and haunt their family. Because, hey, if you're going to leave me on the shoreline, I'm going to make it your problem. Uh, you go into the Bible, there's talks of uh, the dead coming up, such as in Ezekiel 37, 7 through 10. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So you see, even in the Bible, you know, a passage of the dead coming back and being made whole again to serve as a basically an undead army or in Zechariah 14 12 and this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people that wage war against Jerusalem their flesh will rot while they are standing on their feet their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths or Isaiah 26 uh, your dead shall live their bodies shall rise so I mean this just helps to demonstrate that the idea of a living corpse definitely uh, did not start. However, the term zombie really came into popular usage about the 18th, 19th centuries in Haiti. Uh, the word zombie is believed to have come from Central Africa, primarily the Congo region, uh, either as a derivative of the word nzambi, which means God, or Zumbi, or Nzumbi, which means fetish. Uh, and what it pertained to was a body that was brought back to life by a witch doctor, also known as a Bokor, but it was not brought back with a will of its own. It could only do the function as it was directed. And this was definitely scary. Uh, to the Haitians at the time as they were slaves and so it was perceived you know I have no control over my life now but I do have control over if I live or die therefore if I kill myself well I'm now no longer suffering so plantation owners would use it as a threat if you kill yourself I'm going to have a bakor come and bring you back as a zombie where you will then work the fields, not being able to move on to the afterlife or return to a heaven-type land or to the grasslands of Africa as your spirit would because you will be a forever servant. So either be a good slave and do as you are told and when you die, be allowed to go into the afterlife or I'm going to make you work forever and you'll never get to enjoy that piece. That's that's pretty damn dark right there. I was yeah, wow. Uh, <laughs> that's a little not only are you a slave but like you know, to be a slave for all of eternity. Like, oh man, that's a it's a bit of cruelty there. I'm pretty pretty rough. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it definitely just well draws you in with that whole what do you have control over? You know, you don't have control over your life. You don't even have control over your death anymore. <laughs> you don't have control over the next part. So it was just definitely a mind manipulation to get what they wanted.
And so the idea of the zombie traveled to the United States in the early 1900s. And it was used even in film, uh, I believe in 1923 or 1932, film called White Zombie, from which Rob Zombie and them took their name as a band. And in this film, it was slaves brought back as mindless creatures to do as they are told. Can be a little violent, but that was not their primary purpose. They were just doing what their master told them to. Uh, and so this concept of the zombie carried on. This is all anybody knew of the zombie. Was just mindless slave. Mindless servant. Mindless creature. But not violent. Not gory. Until George Romero created Night of the Living Dead. Now when he created this film, he did not call his creatures zombies. In fact, he based them after ghouls, which are undead creatures that come back and eat the flesh of the dead. Uh, they would, all, if hungry enough, would also eat the living. And I believe it was he wanted to call the film Night of the Flesh Eaters. So when he created it, he had the ghoul in mind. However, people associated it with the zombie because that was more well known. And so there is where you see the change of zombies going from just mindless servant to mindless, violent, trying to eat you creatures. And then with Return of the Living Dead, it was introduced with zombies wanting brains. I believe it was only one line even. And... It became so culturally implanted that now whenever anybody thinks of zombies, it's always brain. You know, from one throwaway line from a comedy horror film. <laughs> and so that's where we get the zombies that we see today. The living, the dead brought back to life wanting to eat your flesh, wanting to eat your brains. They no longer are just mindless brain servants. They're now mindless, violent, for some reason, trying to eat your body parts. So where did, or now that we know what a zombie is, what are the chances of zombies being real? You know, you see all the time, Oh, you gotta prepare for the zombie apocalypse, it can happen. Is there really any truth to that? And the answer is not really, however, outside possibility. Uh, for example, you have what's called Creutzfeldt Jacob disease. Now, a variation of this is what we call mad cow disease, where if you eat the flesh or brain, of an infected cow, you can get this illness that does horrible things to your system. So, for example, some of the symptoms of mad cow disease. And tell me if this sounds like a zombie. Uh, personality changes, memory loss, impaired thinking, blurry vision, insomnia, problems with coordination, trouble speaking, trouble swallowing, 
sudden jerky movements. I mean, you hold that up next to a zombie and they're going to check off across the board. So, is there a possibility that catching a variant of Cruzfeld Jacob disease could cause a zombie? Yes, in personality, no, in that it can't be spread. I mean, if you get bit by somebody who has this disease, you're not all of a sudden infected with this prion disease. It just doesn't transmit that way. So, you're not going to get the walking dead from it. Uh, in Papua New Guinea, there were people who would eat the brains of ancestors, sometimes as a tradition, you know, as a way to honor them. And it was called Kuru. Uh, it was officially ended in 1930s, I believe. However, I wouldn't be surprised to find out there were still some people who would practice it. Because that's what people do, you know, we have a tradition. It can be very hard to get everybody to stop it, even if it's for a good reason. <laughs> like, not eating people's brains and catching a prion disease as a result. You then do have real-life examples of zombies, just not in humans. For example, you have toxoplasmosis which is where a worm gets inside of a rat and messes with its uh, brain. And what it does is it changes the rat brain from being afraid of cats to possibly being turned on by cats. So the reason the rat is no longer afraid of cats and will run out in front of them is because they're trying to get lucky. <laughs> and this is, and then the cat eats the rat, and you know, then has a worm inside of it. It uh, reproduces. The cat poops, and then a rat comes and eats the poop and redigests the worm, and that's how it continues to spread. It's also the reason pregnant women are not supposed to clean litter boxes while pregnant, because even though there's a very small chance of contracting it, one of the side effects of Toxoplasmosis in a human body is that it can cause miscarriage or a stillbirth or birth defects of the fetus. And even though the chances are small, it's not zero. Well, first of all, that's terrifying. That's some nightmare fuel right there. Also, I had no idea that rats eat cat poop. That that's <laughs> that's something new for me. <laughs> you name it, rats eat it. <laughs> There is no such thing as a, a no zone. <laughs> Which, you know, from what I've seen of some people's cooking, well, at least somebody will eat it. <laughs> True. Oh, gross. Anyway. <laughs> so you have a worm alternating the survival instinct of a creature in order to reproduce. Basically turning it into a zombie. The rat no longer has a will of its own to not die. You know, it gets infected and now all of a sudden, hey, uh, you know, I know pussy is for cat, but it has other meanings as well. You then have a fungus for ants. 
and it is called and I'm going to butcher this because I mean you really can't avoid it Cardiceps fungus otherwise known as Ophiocordyceps unilateralis and what this fungus does is it gets inside of an ant and converts it from being a social creature into a solitary creature has it leave the nest to find a leaf, climbs up, and sink the mandibles into the bottom side of a leaf. So if you've ever pulled back a leaf and you've seen an ant just hanging there, chances are it's infected with this fungus. And then the fungus feeds on it, reproduces until it's able to spread. So it'll usually stay nearby an ant colony so that it can infect other ants. And so, Again, you have an outside life form, not a bacteria or a virus, but a way for it to spread. And right now, there's no fungus, no worms that gets inside of a human and causes all this to happen, but it doesn't mean it's not possible. Just right now, very unlikely, but due to mutations, you can end up with something like that. So here we've seen the various zombie types. We watched how it went from just being a brainless servant into becoming the flesh-eating horror that we now know it as. We've also seen how zombies, uh, in quotes, can be created in the natural world. So, I mean, chances are if there ever was such thing as a zombie, it would be some sort of a prion disease that could be spread, perhaps an STI or through saliva or other uh, bodily fluids that it currently can't, but, you know, mutations happen and there's always that very far outside. Or a fungus could change and, you know, a nice day, you're outside for a hike, you breathe it in and now you have a fungus growing inside of you that's creeps into the brain and changes what you want to do so that it can reproduce. Or you eat something and now you have a worm in you that crawls through your skin, through your muscle, to your brain, and again causes you to make bad decisions in the name of reproduction, but not necessarily for your health benefit. So uh, it came down to how can you play these creatures? Uh, and before we go into that, uh, some zombie variants. Uh, in Europe, you have, the, especially Scandinavia, you have the Revenant. A Revenant is a person that comes back from the dead. However, it's typically the result of a murder. So they come back to kill their murderer, and then they'll be gone forever. And you see that carry over to D&D with Revenants, which, you know, is now a playable race with some negotiating, where you have an objective, and once you complete that objective, your character ends. That's their whole story arc. Uh, you then have what's called the Nachseller, which is German, means afterwards devourer. And... It can be associated with vampires, however, I do believe it goes more with ghouls in that it usually feeds on dead bodies, but it will feed on the life force of living things. That 
reason it gets associated with vampires. Uh, so it could kill a whole family by just draining their life force. Uh, not necessarily their blood, although you could take it that way, but perhaps just an energy that people put off. Also with Scandinavia, you have the famous Draugr. Definitely known to anybody who plays games like Skyrim. You know, they were Viking corpses that have come back to life. However, these are given usually more magical effects, such as being able to become twice their size or a lot stronger. And so to protect themselves from these creatures, uh, it wasn't uncommon for there to be a wall in a house in the Scandinavian countries to where if somebody died, you carried them out feet first through this wall. So should they ever come back as a corpse, they would not know how to get inside your house. Because they wouldn't have seen where they went. You know, they'd walk to this wall and there's no door for them to come in. Uh, and another Scandinavian uh, revenant you have is the Zengengar. Which is an animated corpse that comes back from the dead to spread disease and attack the living. Um, these ones are revenants as they are the result of suicides. But could also be murder victims or the murderers themselves. Now, let's discuss how you could play these various uh, creatures based upon the folklore. Uh, so, if you want to go with the classic, traditional, proper, you can have a necromancer or a lich or even just a powerful mage who has servants that are the undead. They're zombies. But they don't necessarily have to be aggressive. They can be. And it definitely uh, makes more for more combat. But if you're just going with a horror theme... You know, your players are a guest in a house with these undead shambling about doing the work of cleaning and everything else. It creates that uncomfortable atmosphere. Uh, also following with the fungus one, an idea I had is say you have a tree that drops fruit. Somebody comes and eats that fruit and becomes infected. They have a desire to get back to that tree, and trying to stop them will cause them to turn violent. They will kill you if you stop them getting back to this tree. And once at the tree, they sit there and allow the vines from the tree to pierce their body and suck the nutrients from them, and they do so with a smile. This creates a wonderful gray area for your player characters, especially if they're trying to go with that good rating, because if you try and stop them, they fight back. Are you then within your right or responsibility to kill this character, knowing that they're only doing it because they are infected? Then, if you destroy the tree, do they revert back to normal? And if you kill them, now you have town people pissed at you because you could have destroyed the tree, but you killed somebody's dad. Or would the fungus have done so much damage that they dropped dead? So they were dead from the moment... They felt the call of this tree. And nothing else would have stopped it. But your characters might not know until, you know, the deed is done. 
So it definitely gives you a wide open range to where it's not zombie ghoul coming out of the graveyards. Instead, you're going to force your characters into that gray area, and I love the gray area. Uh, not always as a player, because <laughs> I like to know what I should do. But from a DM perspective, you know, that gray area of what are you going to do? Because then you can take a story and go left or right with it. You know, you need another story? Okay, yeah, you shouldn't have killed them. They would have come back. Now you have a whole town and the king is sending all his guards at you. And your characters are on the run. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, that's that's a pretty good uh, uh, like kind of different twist on it. Yeah, I like the thought of what you're talking about. Maybe not necessarily having evil uh, a zombie like henchmen. You know, they could just be kind of helpful. You know, I, I like I like the thought of like a like a lurch type of like a zombie that's just kind of uh, like a butler or something that you know, can summon. You know, bring bring me some tea. You know, have him shakily undead kind of limp his way in and you know, deliver a platter with some fresh brewed tea on it or something you know like uh i think that'd be kind of fun that could also lead to like a like a character arc where maybe that is your like redemption that you just kind of try to prove to the uh, you know the fantasy realms that not all necromancers and undead are super evil beings as you and you know your your party zombies just kind of uh roam uh, town to town, you know, or you're, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Thoughts of fun to narratively to kind of run with there. Oh, yeah. And back to that whole gray area, if you go with the mindless zombie, however, cannot move on into the afterlife. If you have a character who brings back, say, a parent or a loved one as a zombie, you know, not to be violent, but just to have around the house because they miss them so much. Are they being good in that, well, it's not attacking anybody, where's the harm? Or is that a villainous character because they're not allowing their loved one to move on? Because they can't move on. Well, that's another good twist on it there. <laughs> so, do you have any uh, questions or comments as to Life of the Zombie as we know it? <laughs> Uh, no, I think you went pretty in-depth there. I, uh, I definitely learned something, yeah. I didn't know, uh, rats would eat cat poop. That's, that's new info for me. But also the, I think, uh, like, the, the, the coolest part of all, all that jazz, at least to me, was the, the, what you're talking about, how, like, the, how cruel the masters would be, like, to their slaves. Like, not only are they oh, slaves, but, you know, you have to be an obedient slave, or you're a slave for all eternity, like, Man, that's just a bleak and like not very hopeful, hopeful life to be turned into a zombie. Uh, uh, worst case scenario, it is kind of technically. I mean, when you look at it, that's like uh, a version of hell, I guess. You know. Oh, I'd say it's. It, it definitely has to be the epitome of hell. I never saw it as a physically tormenting place, but instead a mentally tormenting place. Because, you know, having your skin peeled, yeah, that would hurt. But watching a loved one die every day, you know, that would just do more to break you, I think. So in this sense, yeah, you're definitely seeing that. As, and you know, oh, my family member died. And um, I did forget to mention, 
just thought of it. There was a book called The Serpent and the Rainbow where somebody claimed to know the recipe that was used to create zombies. Uh, and one of the ingredients was the toxin found in pufferfish. Now, scientists have taken a look at it and did studies and determined that there's no real way that this would happen. But it was definitely one of the causes was a chemical mixture. And there's stories of people in Haiti and such uh, who were supposed to be dead. However, families said, oh my god, it's you. You died 20 years ago. You know, how are you still here? Could be cases of mistaken identity, could be cases of somebody who faked their death and hid, but it definitely helped spread the reality to people that zombies were real because, hey, there's a story of so-and-so who said they were dead and brought back as a zombie, worked the fields for the past 30 years, and now they're here in front of me. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, wild. Definitely that's, that's definitely something uh, more thought fodder to to consider. That's kind of, huh? That's that's interesting for sure. Different different takes on it. I you know it's weird when you when you sit down and you talk about something like that. Like how how many how many different ways you could find to just, you know run with a good narrative, find something that's narratively pleasing. And sometimes you just gotta do a little research or talk it out. You know. And sometimes, you know, it's good to just bring them in as a mindless creature wanting to eat your flesh because, you know, fuck you, the players. <laughs> exactly. Stat blocks are there for a reason, so you don't have to do all that shit. <laughs> well, I think we're, our ep episode's going to be a thick one this go-around. Uh, in closing, uh just like to tell everybody, uh, if you want to hear uh, more of me and Chris's nerdy shit, go and check out Taterbrain Pod's YouTube channel or Instagram. Uh, we'll have a few things going on there uh, anything you'd like to add and before we close out if you have any questions comments or any topics you want to hear sooner rather than later you can reach out to us at monsters and mythos all spelled out at gmail.com uh, and i never thought i'd do this but you know if you do listen rate and review leave a five-star rating on whatever you listen to uh the reviews just help get the show out there more where we could get more listeners and, you know, maybe help, at worst case, beef up the stories that are coming out for newer DMs to really bring into the fold. <laughs>